Today's message is continuing in the theme of Let Them Hear, obviously our, our central theme for the year, and um, learning God's character. And one of the things that's really important for us to get our head around is that God treats his enemies differently than we would be inclined to, left to our own devices. And so this message this morning is about how God treats his enemies. And if you are reading the Old Testament story, you'd be maybe quick to give the answer, he just nukes them. (laughs) And uh, that wouldn't be far from the truth in some respects, but I think aside from the the narrative that's part of um, some of that story in in so far, up up into the book of Samuel at the moment, was where we've got to, and there's more to come, Shane. Just encourage you, just knuckle down, mate. If you're still back, where did you say you're up to? Joshua. Numbers, Whew, you got some work to do, man. You, you, need, you might need your wife to just put some encouragement awards around the house, you know. Okay, put some around the house for her. Hey, hey it's good. You know what, it's not about how much of the Bible you read, it's the fact that you do. At the end of the day, God's got the incredible capacity with his word to just give you a little clip, give you a little prompt, give you a little embrace, wipe away a tear, put hope in front of you when you might be thinking it's hopeless. So one of the things I want to talk about today is the story of Ruth. And the book of Ruth is one of my favourite books in the Bible because it explains a lot of things about life. And um, Ruth's love for her family, um, loyalty to people and to God features strongly in the narrative of the book of Ruth. It also weaves God's purposes in and through human tragedy, suffering, perseverance, faithfulness, and seemingly innocuous coincidences. So this this, um, story is quite remarkable on a number of levels, and I hope I can unpack a few thoughts here for you this morning. So let's just get into it. Ruth chapter 1, verses 15 through 22. So this is after uh, Naomi's husband and her two sons have died, and there's two surviving daughters-in-law who are Moabites and she's an Israelite like a Jew and uh, she's moved to Moab with her husband because of a famine so that's the background and uh, she gets to the point where she hears the news that the famine has finished back in um, where her family live in Bethlehem and so she's decided she's got nothing to be keeping her in Moab so she's going to go home and so verse 15 look says Naomi Your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. So they're already on the journey and she's trying to send her two daughters-in-law away. Not because she doesn't love them, but because she realises them extracting themselves from their um, families, their Moabite families, is going to be traumatic. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. So when Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Um, So after significant losses in her life, Naomi has, had to, has come to the end of herself in a foreign land. It's like maybe you've 
maybe you're not in a foreign land, you might be, this might be a foreign land to you that you've moved here for and migrated to Australia. Um, you can get to the point, we can all get to, regardless of where we've come from, where we get to the end of ourselves. You've got nothing in the tank, there's just nothing left to give. It's, it's like, I've got no idea what to do next. And sometimes when we've got no idea what to do next, as long as we do something, we've got the potential to actually change what's going on. When we get stuck, when we actually get to the point where we, we won't make a choice to do anything, that's like being a rock just stuck on the ground. Give God something to work with. Make a decision of some description. Even if it's the worst decision in your world, give God something to, to just get a hold of to help you take the next step. Um, so the, a Moabite daughter-in-law sticks with her. Neither is aware... And this is probably a really key thought to get into our hearts this morning. Neither of them, Naomi nor Ruth, is aware of God's plans for them, say for, and the outworking of his purpose through them, say through. So God is always multitasking in your life. He's always got something for you, but he's also always up to something through you. Don't ever think it's all about me getting blessed. It's all about me having something for me, whatever that is, so that he can work his purpose out through me. So he's a multitasker, parallel train lines. There's not ever a day where God's just doing something for you. Oh, I like Bruce Williams, I'll give him something. No, he'll give me something because he wants me to do something for him. It's for me, for my family, for my future, but it's through me that his purpose is being worked out. He's decided that it's going to be his church. That's us. The church worldwide is how he is coming, his purpose is coming through you and me into the world. And if we're stuck hiding in our little places of insecurity, hiding in our places of victimhood, we've got a problem. So, what's here? I've got three points this morning, roughly. Uh, if you can make notes out of this message, you're doing really well. First one is this <laughs> being born into a tribe, an ethnic group, a religious context, a social or economic disadvantage has no bearing on whether God will embrace you. Okay? The world would want to say that there's lots of disadvantage, and there is. And disadvantage, people have got disadvantage, surprisingly. And one of the narratives that comes out of this, is my, this is an opinion moment, a narrative that comes out of focusing on disadvantage is we create a narrative of victimhood. And victimhood is poison to the soul. Victimhood is poison to a community. Victimhood is poison to a democracy. Victimhood is a cancer in our community at the moment, and we've got the answer. Doesn't matter how disadvantaged you are, the God of heaven and earth will not, not embrace you. He wants to gather people into his kingdom. No disadvantage makes you excluded from the embrace. Amen? Amen. So God wants to bust you and me out of the secular worldview of victimhood. Victimhood, as I said, it sucks. That is not to be uh, to ignore disadvantage or advantage, but to make clear it is no one is beyond becoming a friend of God. Let me say that: no one's beyond becoming a friend of God. We've, it's like, yeah, I'll come back to that one in a moment. So say no one. Um, if I read this out now, I've written it down here somewhere. You haven't met. It's written here somewhere, I can't see it. You have never met 
a person that Jesus would not have died for. You never met a person that Jesus didn't die for. Every person on the planet today, good, evil, people who are of all walks of life, Jesus didn't go, oh, I'll die for everybody except for that person. He died for every one of them. Every human being he went to the cross for. You've never met a person, the person you despise most in this earth, and you kind of walk away from a conversation, gee, I wish they'd get hit by a bus. Anybody think like that? <laughs> gee, I wish they'd go broke. Oh, I've had some fairly dark thoughts about people because I'm just human. But I've got to face the reality that no matter how dark my thoughts and no matter how much indignation I've got to a person and what they do or don't do, and from my point of view, that does not exclude them from the grace of God through Jesus Christ. He died for them. I've got to get over myself. And uh, we as Christians have got some serious work to do in the arena of finger pointing. Well, we might come to that before this message is out. So, number one, um, no one is rejected by God. Amen? Even though it would appear in the Old Testament, there's lots of people who rejected that. That's, uh, it's a complicated thing to walk through that, but bear with me because it, it is actually, the whole story is pointing to this matter that Jesus died for every person. Yeah. Number two, our intersections with others can have eternal purposes. By intersections, I just mean the timeline of your life. You can be just walking through life or crawling through life or groveling through life or running through life or swimming through life, ploughing through life, minding your own business. And every day, you and I have intersection moments where somebody else's timeline crosses ours. It's an intersection. People have crossed my path. We use that phrase, crossed our path. What I love about it, every intersection has got a purpose in God. Not just some, everyone. Every intersection with another person is a possibility for God, in my view, to bring his purpose for his kingdom to be extended on planet earth. Looking back over the course of my life, it's easy to see moments, conversations, people and incidents that have far-reaching consequences beyond what I knew at that time. I'll just give you a really corny example. Well, it's not corny, it's really important to me. It's my lovely wife, Julie. Julie's family moved to the Adelaide Hills in the mid-1970s. And I can still to this day remember the day that she and her family, her two older sisters and a brother and a mum and dad, walked in the, the, the door of the Orgate Methodist Church. Um, and uh, the little church at Orgate was about probably eight families, I reckon, from my memory. Maybe eight families. Maybe only five. So a new family with six people, and it was like, whoo, just about doubled the size, not quite, but the church... <laughs> But what I saw that day was some, in my opinion, attractive teenage females. Caught my attention. I was a young buck. I don't know. 1974, I was 16. Yep, so I was kind of at that age. But little did I know. She, so I actually was pretty keen on one of her sisters to start with. <laughs> until I worked out they were older than me. And that was like, in my head, that was a... That was a end of the game. If your spouse is older than you the other way around, it's like, that's just a personal like, um, ignorance on my part. Uh, age has got nothing to do with it, is what I'm trying to say. So I had no say in her family moving. Didn't even know them. I had no idea that they were coming to the Adelaide Hills. Yet, 
there was this moment of intersection where we met. And then over a period of years, we fell in love. Over a period of years, we decided it was a good idea to get married. And we did, and we've been married for 43 years. Um, I didn't know any of that future was in that intersection. It was just another person that I've met. But 43 years later, well, actually, probably now 45, 46 years later, there's 11 grandchildren sitting under the canopy of Bruce and Julie. There's a church here that's part of, as others have prayed about, something we've, um, it, it exists because we just said yes to God. There was an intersection. It's not, oh, we're special. No, no, we just had an intersection. We had an intersection where we let God say, do you want to be part of the picture or don't you? Do you want to be part of my future? And I didn't even know if I was part of, the, like, I didn't hear an audible voice, this is a moment to make a big decision, Bruce. I didn't make a big decision when Julie walked in the door of that church. I just thought, gee, they're nice looking girls. And it kept on going from there. And uh, as, you, as the saying goes, the rest is history. And I would guarantee in this room we could find every one of us have got intersection stories that our lives were changed in a blink. And the blink, we didn't even know that blink was important. Didn't even know that blink had a purpose in God, but it did to God and he knew about it. And that's the point of this story with Ruth. She's got no idea as she is being diligent and persevering and committed to her mother-in-law for no particular... It's not apparent in the story. There's no reason for her to hitch her wagon to Naomi. But when Naomi realised that she was determined to go with her, she gave up fighting it. She said, okay, just whatever. Neither of them had a clue that down the track, God's got something massive up his sleeve for them. And so I want to say to you this morning, if you're sitting in victim land this morning, feeling a little depressed, a little bit heavy-hearted, a little bit pessimistic, just look back for an intersection, the most recent one you've crossed over and say, God, what's the deal? God, what is the purpose of that little meeting? What's the purpose of that phone call? What's the purpose of that conversation at Connect Group? What's the purpose of going to the picnic this afternoon? What if it's an intersection? Maybe not even with one of us. You drive down there and, and bump into some of the millions of tourists in the main street of Handorf and it's intersection, incidental. It's like, well, what was that about? Down the road, years later, you go, Whoo, it all started. I bumped into this person from Una Whoop Whoop in the main street of Handorf walking down to a picnic. That's how God rolls. Don't be ever despairing of small beginnings. Don't ever be despairing of a massive tragedy. This story is unraveling through huge loss. Husband, two sons, no kids. Like in the Old Testament narrative, having children is like up there as like as a fairly high priority and it's part of, um, it's just the way it is. And so this story's got a whole bunch of unknowns, not to God. God knows the finish of your story. God knows where you're going to end up. God knows where he'd like you to end up. Sometimes I don't end up where he wants me to end up because I ignore the crossroads. Because I don't stop at the stop signs. I just go plowing straight through the intersection, run a red light, missed it. I was supposed to stop there. I was supposed to talk to somebody. I was supposed to say something. I was supposed to do something. I was supposed to give something. I was supposed to give up something. If I don't recognise the intersections of life, I'm not going to end up where God wants me to end up. So I think about your stories. This thought came to me. This is worth writing down. Okay, just if you've got your pen poised to your finger or how you put it into your notes. This is in bold print in my notes here. 
Talking about being blessed. I noticed the Prime Minister got smashed this week for talking about being blessed. Very sad um, that you can get smashed for saying that. But anyway, that's another day, another story. Um, anyone ever said anything in public they regret? Or in private they regret? You know, it's coming out of your mouth and you honestly, you're just making an innocent statement about something and next minute it stacks on. It's like, it's like holy moly, what, what are they thinking? Then you go back and think, what was I thinking? Maybe I should have just kept my mouth shut. That's sometimes a good idea. I, I digress. Write this down. Doing things that God can bless is a key to being blessed. Let me say that again. People want God to bless them. They want God's hand to be on this. They want God to do this and God to do that. We, we ask him in prayer for all sorts of things to happen in their life. But we keep on. Guess what? God can't bless lying. God can't bless um, lust. God, God can't bless unforgiveness. If I'm asking God to bless me, maybe I need to start doing things that he can bless. Not really rocket science. I'm only a simple guy up here on the pulpit this morning. But at the end of the day, if you're listening online, this is this is gold. This is worth millions of dollars to you. Do something that God can bless if you want to be blessed. And stop being an idiot. Just saying. So in Ruth's case, her destiny, although it included disaster, sorrow, and grief was shaped by her loyalty and willingness to submit to Naomi's counsel. She did things that God could indeed bless. So Naomi is a key in this story, giving her some advice about what to do and how to do it in a Jewish context. And to her credit, this is the key. Listen up, young people. Older people sometimes tell you to do things you don't think have got any particular purpose in life. Could be an intersection conversation. There's got all of the gold of heaven lined up for you on that street. And you go, no, I'm not doing that. Down that street is rubbish bins. It's like sometimes it's just a, a, a golden conversation. It's like, so if you haven't got somebody mentoring you, somebody who actually can speak to you with authority, not to boss you around in that sense of the word at all, but somebody who's got the wisdom of God and the purpose of God woven through them. And they say, why don't you do that? Or why don't you not do that? And you do what they say. That's a moment that God can bless. That's a moment that God will bless. So in Ruth 3, 9 through 11, we read this. This is um, Boaz. He's snoozing after having a for the night on the Terps. Um, interesting how many guys in the Bible kind of get themselves a little bit inebriated. Uh, just for you, anyway, we won't go there. Um, actually, it's an important part to say. In spite of that, let's just say lack of control. Let's just, whatever you want to call it. It's like, well, God doesn't go, oh, well, I picked a dud there. I better move on. God weaves his purpose through these moments. He knows you're a human being. Don't feel bad. You're not a God. You and I, we're not perfect. We're human beings. He knows that. Yet he desires still, Nathan, to weave his purpose through you. You think, well, there's a whole lot of disqualifiers I know about that no one else knows about. We can all have those moments of going, how could God possibly use me? Trust me, he will because you're human. Yeah. He wants to move through you 
for his purpose. Is this helping anybody at all to have a good day at church? I hope so. Okay, so she goes on. So Boaz says, who are you? Like she's sleeping on his feet. That's a fairly, like, the picture's a little bit strange, right? She, um, uh, she says, I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. And verse 10, the Lord bless you, my daughter. Now, right there is the key. She has done something that he says God asks God to bless her because he knows that she can be blessed by what she just did. No good saying bless you to somebody who's walking in error, somebody who's rejecting God, somebody who's doing their own thing. You could say God bless them, but at the end of the day, the blessing will, they'll become Teflon to the blessing because God will bless what he can bless, not what he can't bless. I just, yeah, anyway, I got excited about that line of thinking. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor, and now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. So she's walked through the doors of Bethlehem with a reputation of being noble. Why? Because she's actually retained and persevered with her relationship with her mother-in-law. My third point comes up to this. When it comes to people opposed to God, this is where the rubber hits the road for us as Christians. He is more interested in including them than excluding them. We've got bad, bad reputation of being finger-pointing, judgmental people in the community. The secular world will put that label on us as, as Christians. I think it'd be fair to say without getting political but I think the secular world is working overtime on trying to destroy the character of the Prime Minister because he's a Christian and so it suits their narrative to say he's a finger, Christian, finger pointing Christian and they got good reason to say that not because, only because of him but because of us who appointed the church to be the moral police of the planet Jesus didn't, he didn't say go into all the world and judge it he said, go into all the world and make disciples. Yeah. Hang on, that's bringing people in, not showing people the door. Go into all the world and make disciples. Yeah. God is the great includer. I've used that phrase here many, many times over the years. Amen? Yeah. God is more interested in including than excluding. Yeah. We would do well to put our fingers away. We would. We'd do really well to put our fingers away. So, okay, I'm just... I'm, doesn't mean you don't feel indignant. Doesn't mean you don't get worked up about things that are unjust and wrong and completely evil. I'm not saying we just ignore that stuff. But somewhere in the mix, I need a moment with God that shifts my indignation about the unfairness, the, un, the injustice, the injustice, injustice, injustice. I need a moment where I can just give that to him. Say, God, what's, what's your inclusive deal here? What's your embrace look like here? How do I embrace that prickly person? That person has got no time. The person who's been uh, screwed over by the church, the moment we've got Hillsong being sledged left, right and centre, and, and it's like, again, it's not saying anything about what, what the details behind them. I don't know them. The media said one thing and things are quoted like, you and I don't know the details, but all I know is it stacks on. It's a stacks on narrative. Does that make it right? Heck no. Is it justified? No. But that's how the world treats people it doesn't like. That's not how we roll, baby. Yeah. Right? 
we don't roll like that. Well, if we do roll like that, we shouldn't be uh, calling ourselves a Christ follower. Because Christ followers forgive. Christ followers embrace. Christ followers go, well, as much as I don't like you, I guess I'm prepared like Jesus to hang on the cross for you. Because I can think of some people that really, that would stretch my faith. Anyone go amen to that? So when it comes to people who are, this is my third point, just if you have taken note, this is a part you can write as a note. When it comes to people opposed to God, he is more interested in including than excluding them. 2 Peter 3 verse 9 just says it perfectly. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understood slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. Right there is God's heart. doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to, here's the word, repentance. Repentance is actually just going, you know what, I was wrong. That's pretty easy to say, very hard to do. I'm wrong. You know what, that deal with us, you know, we've had our differences, we've had the conversation, we've had our... You know what, at the end of the day, let's forget the details. What's happened here is we've parted. That's wrong. Forgive me. Because our relationship's more important than my opinion, isn't it? But we live in a community where that's not true anymore. My opinion's way more important than a relationship. Polarised. We've got such an incredible gift to keep bringing into our broken community of love, forgiveness, acceptance, the warm embrace. Even more important than ever before for us to put our finger, pointing finger away at what we don't agree with, whatever that might be. And there's lots of things to not agree with, aren't there? So many things going on, you go, oh my gosh, it's like, this is not godly, this is not right, this is, it, it's, and that's all true. But you've got to stop, I think we've got to stop and ask ourselves, what's our Christ follower response? What, what does it mean to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ in the scenarios that you find yourself? I'm not talking about trying to jump into places you don't belong, just... Think about where you hang out, the people you see day to day, the people you work with. So this is an area of his kingdom coming that is most fiercely opposed by many, even in church. We live in a world that talks unity, compassion, togetherness, tolerance, etc., but it doesn't deliver. Never has, never will. There's plenty of politicians at the moment hammering on on TV and flute, all those things on the post, corn flutes, um, about... Vote for me because I can change this, that, and the other. No, they can't. I've been around a block long enough to know now that politicians really are able to deliver anything they say, um, apart from maybe some financial things. And as far as culture and the sense of community and togetherness, no. They got no capacity to deliver it because, generally speaking, this is an opinion. It's not God-centred. We've got a God-centred worldview, I hope, haven't we? So we are the answer. Say, I am, I am. The, solution. the solution. Because Jesus, Jesus. Lives, in me. lives in me. It's not about me being the solution. The only reason I am a solution is because Jesus lives in me. And I want to bring him into these places. Let me explain why I think, just as I said, so the world can't deliver because it is actually delivered with force by rules and compliance. God's delivery method is offered. Let me say it again. The world forces 
is compliance on us. We know all about that with masks and lockdowns and all of the kerfuffle over the last two years with coronavirus. Now, lots of that stuff, you could argue, has been legitimately researched and good reason for it. I'm not arguing the point about that. But my point is that it's still forced. It's still, you do it, or else. Vaccine mandates, you do it, or you lose your job. It's like, that's, that, that's not fair. It's like, what do I do as a Christian? Do I push back and get upset about that? Well, you can, and there's nothing wrong with being indignant about it, but you're, you're actually dealing with a dynamic that's forced by a spirit that's not of God. You want to go and knock yourself out fighting that thing? That's up to you. I'd rather spend my time presenting Christ, who was always offered, say offered. God offers change. He doesn't force it. Don't you love that? That's why we've got such a messy world, because God's not in the business of, my kingdom's coming, you do nothing about it. You submit, buddy, or I'm going to fry you. That's not how he talks to you. He goes at Australia and he goes, we have got our work cut out for him, but the blood of Jesus, my son, is sufficient even for him. Is that right? So true. So true. Yes. <laughs> Sorry to pick it on your man just in the front row there. <laughs> little Spencer on there, mate. He's, he's a little blessing. How cool is having these babies in church? How good is that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and little Bruce down at Parkside. Still working on that one. Well, I'm not working on that. You know what I mean. It's like just getting used to the idea of there being two of us. Um, it's good. Oh, here's my note. I did write that down. I was like, we have never met a person that Jesus didn't die for. Even his biggest enemies and opponents receive the same offer as you and I do. Believe, confess, and be saved. So his kingdom culture is impossible to live with without being found in him. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you are believed and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Let me stand to our feet. I'm kind of feeling inclined to just invite you to have a few moments this morning of confession, private confession to God. If you know that, if you thought about it, and I can think of many conversations I've had where I've had the finger out, pointing, judging. The Bible's pretty clear, judge not lest ye be judged. Luke 6, 38, the measure you used, you use, the measure will be used against you. Be careful what you're actually judging and how you're judging it because you can't get away from the Word of God. But you can actually shift the impact of a foolish moment by confessing it to God. Maybe you need to repent this morning from being a red light runner I don't mean literally I mean but you've run the red light at an intersection of your life you didn't stop you were meant to you meant to stop and talk to that person you meant to stop and listen to that conversation you meant to stop and help that person and you know now maybe years down the track that was a mistake 
can't go back and rewrite history, but you can say, God, I'm sorry. So Lord, I pray as we come into this atmosphere of repentance and confessing our sin, confessing our shortcomings, confessing our humanity to you, that you sweep over us with a wave of grace that is brand new in every heart here this morning. We'd have a sense of your eternal and limitless love for us just washing over our soul right now. Lord, some of us in this room have got very deep scars. Today, Lord, I declare the grace of God, the love of Jesus, the blood of Jesus is going to enter even to those deepest recesses of pain in our life. Bringing life, bringing light, bringing freedom, bringing a sense of hope that causes us to be optimistic, Lord, and that pushes hard against the inclination to be a victim. Lord, that we'd step out of this place into the weeks ahead, the years ahead, with a great sense of purpose. God is doing things for me, and God is always doing things through me. So we praise you, Lord, this morning in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, and Father, we pray we live out of that place today and in the days ahead. Thank you, Heavenly Father.